0: Welcome to another episode of the Family Discipleship Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Horstman, and my prayer for you is that the Lord would be pleased to bless this show and use it to provide you as a Christian parent with gospel-centered, grace-driven ideas and encouragement for shepherding your children's hearts and cultivating your family's relationships with Jesus and with each other. Cultivating Your Family's Relationships with Jesus and with each other. For today's conversation, we're going to be talking about strengthening relationships vertically and horizontally, and I'm pleased to welcome uh, my friend Scott LaPierre to this episode of the show. Welcome, brother.
1: Yeah, thanks, Christian. Glad to be here with you and your your listeners.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure having you. And uh, for those of you who aren't uh, familiar with uh, Scott, he is the teaching pastor at Woodland Christian Church in Woodland, Washington. He's an author and conference speaker. Uh, He holds an MA in Biblical Studies from Liberty University. Uh, former school teacher and Army officer, and he and his wife, Katie, have 10 children and are passionate homeschool advocates, which I love. So yeah, so welcome to the show. And, uh, you know, today I just, you know, we just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the conversation or the connection between, uh, you know, healthy vertical relationship with Christ and healthy horizontal relationships in our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's I think it's so easy, um, and I've talked about this, you know, in other places before, but it's so easy to compartmentalize our uh, you know, our lives, you know, um, we kind of have like, you know, our Sunday morning box, you know, that we do this, you know, we go to church and then like the rest of the week, you know, it's not always consistent with that. So, um, just want to talk a little bit about, you know, how our walk with God, um, you know, how profoundly that bleeds into every relationship around us. You know, we can't segment, you know, Jesus out of our life, you know, he desires oneness with us that transforms, you know, and how we in turn love our spouses and relate to our spouses and our children. So, um, so yeah, first I was just kind of envision, you know, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, that vertical relationship um, you know, our relationship with Christ. Um, and then we'll, we'll go from there into horizontal. So, um, you have any opening thoughts or anything you want? Yeah, to that was great.
1: Said? Great what you said, Christian, about people compartmentalizing their lives and just kind of pee back on that mm-hmm. one way. I see that as this common. Someone will say something like, well, you know, I'm a Christian first and then I'm a husband and then I'm a father and then I'm an employee and and mm-hmm. that's not really true. You're supposed mm-hmm. to be a Christian husband, a Christian father. There's not like Christian at the top and then something second. Mm-hmm. It's Christ Christian is supposed to flood all of those other relate, you know, Christian employee, Christian neighbor, if you're a student, Christian student. And so because we're to we're to be filled with Christ whatever role or capacity that we we find ourselves in. And really it's that Strengthening that relationship with Christ, that vertical relationship, that then allows that horizontal relationship, whether it's in marriage or parenting, to um, you know be stronger. And I can say a lot about this. I'm very I'm very passionate about it. I I I think I started my marriage book with a chapter about the importance of having a Christ-centered relationship because you want to have a healthy relationship with your spouse. You need to have a healthy relationship with your with your uh, your Savior and then your spouse. And so. I'll, I'll share something that's happened numerous times in counseling. A couple will come in and by the time they come into marriage counseling with me, you can imagine that they're pretty upset with each other and they probably should have come in, you know, months or maybe even years earlier. And they're sitting across from me and I feel like often, sadly, what people kind of want as a referee, they want someone to say that they're right, you know, and the other, and their spouse is wrong. Yeah, and so the let's say the husband begins and he kind of unloads on me and he tells me how how terrible his wife is and you know she disrespects him and and then makes him embarrasses him in front of the kids or something and then the wife shares that her husband's unloving and he cares more about his work or or he doesn't invest in her and he, or he he talks cruelly to her and then I'll respond by asking them what their devotional time looks like or their prayer lives or the last time they were in the Word together I mean individually but as a family and you can just see the puzzled look on people's faces like what were you listening to what i just said i told you how my husband screams at me or the you know the husband says i just i just told you how my wife humiliated me in front of those in front of my friends when she interrupted me when i was telling that story and you want to talk to me i mean it's like were you even listening and i'll say yeah i was listening yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i'll say i was i was listening there's a reason behind my question cuz i'm very convinced that if we strengthen this vertical relationship with christ that you will end up having a stronger, healthier relationship horizontally with each other. Uh, I'll even ask, when I do my marriage conferences, one of the first questions I ask people is I'll say, in the privacy of your own hearts, for a, a moment, reflect on why you treat your spouse the way you do. Why do you think you treat your spouse the way you do? And I, you can apply this to other relationships. Why do you treat your children the way you do? You can ask children, why do you honor? or dishonor your parents the way you do. Why do you treat your parents the way you do? Why do you obey or disobey your parents? Why do you treat your siblings the way you do? And then, and then I'll tell people you do because of your relationship with Christ. Because what you are in those relationships is an overflow or outpouring of your relationship with Christ. You do these things to people or treat them the way you do because of who you are in Christ, which can be as well a good thing as much as a bad thing, right? And that's a really important thing to draw on that vertical relationship in the in our horizontal relationships because when we're upset with someone or when we don't want to forgive someone, let's even if we move outside marriage for a moment, we talk about in the church. Let's say someone has wronged us, and so let's say someone is hurt, someone feels betrayed. You know they were slandered. They come into my office, they're really upset with someone, they don't want to forgive. You can't talk to that person about forgiving the other person and say something like, well, you should forgive them because they deserve it. They're going to be like, no, they don't deserve it. They, did you listen to how terribly I said that they, they treated me? So you, my point is you cannot expect people to draw on that horizontal relationship to do what's right. It's that horizontal relationship that's tempting them to do what's wrong. Like if you look at that husband and you say, you need to love your wife as Christ loves the church, she deserves that. Or you try to tell him how good she is well, he's going to say, as he thinks more about her, he's actually going to become angrier. So you have to have people draw on a, a different relationship. And this isn't, this isn't something that I would say I thought of. I, th- I think this is the way that Christ taught. This is what Paul taught. Now, just using two examples off the cuff, you've got Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. He's forgiven much. He goes out, grabs the guy by the neck. And then the king calls him in, and what does he say? He says, "You should have forgiven him, not because he deserved it, not because he's so wonderful, not because he wasn't that bad, but you should have des- you should have forgiven him because of what you have been forgiven, right? So you know right. Ephesians four, forgive as you have been forgiven in Christ, right? So we forgive others not because they're wonderful or great or loving or forgave us or treat us the way we want to be treated, we forgive them because of what Christ has." forgiven us for and so if I if I'm talking to someone who's like furious with a, a a family member right they feel betrayed and they and I talk to them about forgiveness they say you know this, I don't want to forgive this person. This person doesn't deserve my forgiveness. And I'll say, I'm not going to argue with them. You know what I mean? Christian, I'm not going to try to talk him out of that because it wouldn't even be true. Whatever I would say, the person doesn't deserve it. That that person's a sinner, yeah. but I'll yeah. say, but who, who does deserve it? Right. You know, a husband says, I don't want to love my wife. Okay. You don't want to love your wife. Well, who does deserve your love? A wife says, I don't want to submit it to my husband. Okay. Well, who does deserve your submission? And so we do things not for others we do things for christ because of what he has done for us
0: right no that makes that makes total sense and you know again it helps um i think it's really good to you know have that perspective of yeah no one deserves you know if you're going to say well you know he he or she doesn't deserve it yeah well you know you didn't either and christ forgave you so (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly right yeah right no I, i i think that's a good good point so um so what If you had to just take a minute and maybe give us a couple practical ways for, you know, Families and uh, you know spouses, parents to prioritize time in the Word and building that relationship with Christ. What are some things that you would say?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's funny. I used to be super into fitness before I became a pastor. Started having yeah. some back problems. Lots of kids, but there was mm-hmm. this argument. I'm getting I'm getting to answer your question just just a moment mm-hmm. about cardio and the best time to do cardio. And if you're in the fitness world, you'll know that this is a commonly debated topic. You know, right. after meal, first thing in the morning, on an empty stomach, not on an empty stomach. You know, after lifting weight when your glycogen is depleted. So they just go round and round about this. And I, I remember I read this one article and this guy said, people spend more times arguing and agonizing about when to do cardio when they should just do cardio. The most important thing is to do it. And I mentioned that because <laughs> I find family worship, which I know is is uh, dear to you. And, and for any listeners that don't know, our friendship goes back from when you started ministry. And I have about a 500 things I feel like I need to do every day. And you know that from all the times you messaged me, you've been very <laughs> gracious.
0: <laughs> you know, I
1: don't respond or it's short or I say, yeah. or you have to remind me to respond. And and I'm not looking for more stuff, but I just believed in what you were doing. I saw a young man who loved Christ, wanted to strengthen families. And I'm like, I'll make time to, you know, I want to see what the Lord does does through you. It's exciting, exciting for me. And that was one of the main things you were doing, Christian, was you were pushing family worship, um, family roles, biblical family roles, I should say. And so along those lines, um, the most, one of the most important roles for fathers or husbands is that spiritual leader, if you want to say shepherd of, of their family. And that means gathering your family around God's word. I don't think that the time is as important as doing it. I mean, if we do it, we read the word as a family in the evening. I'm not, I'm not convinced that is the best, the best time, but it has worked well for us. Uh, the reason it's not always the best time or uh, the reason it works well for us is we, our kids get up at different times. We have 10 kids ranging from 17, you know, down to six weeks old. My wife is often getting up throughout the night. One of the ways that I try to apply first Peter three, seven or dwell with my wife in an understanding way is letting her sleep in and trying to help I have a flexible schedule of pastor so I can try to get up and help with the kids while other kids are in bed. So the mornings you would think with all the flexibility mornings, would be like this great time for us. Mm -hmm. And, and it hasn't, hasn't been, but the evening works nice for us because then we conclude the day together. Mm -hmm. And we're, we, so the last thing we do, you know, is we're having family worship prayer talking, you know, as a family, we're all gathered in the living room together. We can talk about our day. So one of the advantages of evening family worship is It allows you to talk about either maybe what you read that day, what happened during that day, what you're thankful for. The nice thing about the morning is you're kind of being equipped for the day, and often you can hear something, read something that you're going ap- to apply your, to your day. So there's advantages to both. There's times that I come in for lunch because I, I work from home so frequently. I have lunch with the family, you know, just grab my Bible. And if you don't know what to read, just read the, the proverb of the day works well for us. We don't frequently get through a whole chapter. It's usually five or six of them because I'm inviting the kids to, to contribute. So I've, I've had a lot of men tell me, I don't know if I can read the word with my family. And I'll say, Hey, if you can read, then you can read the word with your family. Right. Right. And so the, the problem, and I'm, I want to be sensitive to this. We project ourselves on others. Uh, I do. And so, because speaking like this or getting behind a pulpit or leading family worship is very comfortable for me I have assumed that's comfortable for other, other men. Now, what I do is I'm looking at other men who like build houses, work on cars, do things with their hands. I've spent my life in books, behind a computer, at desks, you know, so I'm, I'm you know, church work days, people are like, oh, there's Pastor Scott, you know, make sure you don't give him a power tool. He's going to hurt someone. <laughs> and so that's, that's kind of gives you an idea When what I'm like. So I'm looking at guys that build houses and I'm like, you guys are my heroes. I can't believe you can do this. You fix your own car, you know, you don't have to pay someone to do it. So, and they, they project themselves on me and they assume I can do these things. Well, my point is I'm, I'm doing these marriage conferences, talking about men being spiritual leaders in their homes. And I'm getting talking about, I mean, when we talk about a Christ-centered relationship, what does that mean? It means a relationship with Christ is center, center of your marriage, your family, your home, not just someone you visit at church on Sunday, Sunday morning, and then there's no other acknowledgement of Christ throughout the week, right? So when we're talking right. about a Christ-centered relationship, this is very central to it having family worship. Yeah. And so guys are coming up to me, I'm talking at marriage conferences about the importance of men being spiritual leaders, gathering their families around the word, and guys privately are like, "Hey, I heard what you're saying and all, and I can see they I don't know if I'd say terror terror might be a strong word, although one guy did tell me he said I'm terrified to do this." He said What if I don't know what to say? What if my wife asks me something I can't answer? What if uh, I don't even know where to begin? And because what guys are doing is they're assuming who who do most husbands or fathers listen to? They've heard their pastor at the church who's got a polished sermon. They're listening to the guy at the marriage conference. They're listening to the guy on the radio. You know, they're listening to Vody Bauckham or they're listening to Paul Walsh or John MacArthur. And it's like these super refined uh, professional speakers. And then guys are like, I got to sound like that. And they've built it up. It's too intimidating. And so I think one thing most men need to know is, or maybe remember is the power is in God's word. It's not in your oratory. And the Ephesians five, when it talks about husbands loving their wives, it talks about the word sanctifying and cleansing, right? So if you're reading the word with your family, it's going to go out and it's going to accomplish that sanctifying and cleansing work. It's not in one of the things I like in the new Testament is you kind of get the impression that Paul might not have been the most articulate man. Yeah. God still worked powerfully through him. It seems like he was even ridiculed for having not been more articulate. So that, I mean, when the, one of the you know greatest men second to Christ in the new Testament uh, might not have been the best speaker, that should be a real encouragement to all of us, right. all of us men. And so the, the important thing, and I'll tell guys, here's, here's just a few pieces of advice, find a book you're familiar with. I mean, will you know, you don't have to um, know everything you're not going to deliver a sermon and this is what I tell wives. I say you know don't expect a John MacArthur sermon or a Billy Graham crusade every time your your husband opens the word but choose a Bible choose a book that you have something already with choose a book you're enthusiastic about that you enjoy you know if probably don't dive into Leviticus right <laughs> uh, your family might not be thrilled about that no. uh, find, find a book that you think your children will enjoy now for me my kids enjoy narratives so we've spent a lot of time in the Gospels and in Samuel and in um, Chronicles. We are now in Exodus and my kids like, or maybe I like to teach narratives. I like to describe them. I like to invite my kids to imagine what certain things look like, tell me details. And so that's that's not what other guys have to do, but that's been a blessing. But I would say find some, find a book you're enthusiastic about. You know, You remember in your Christian life, this is the book that's always ministered to you and and then, then if I could address the wives, I was invited to speak at this women's conference, which probably sounds kind of funny. And I pointed that out as soon as I got up there to speak. I said, I know everyone's kind of wondering, what's this guy doing at a women's <laughs> conference? And I said, well, I was, I was invited. <laughs> and I said to the ladies, I said, I want to take this opportunity to talk to you about how your husband probably feels. I'm going to share what other women, or other women, that sounds like I'm a woman too, but I'm going to share what the women in this conference can't share with you, which is how a man feels. And honestly, Christian, I think it was a very eye-opening, you know, kind of paradigm shift for many women to understand the influence they have on their husbands, uh, to to understand how fearful their husbands can be about praying and reading the word with their families, and I'll give you an example. There was a a woman, a couple that my wife Kate and I are very good friends with, and they came to us for marriage counseling, and she was very spiritual, had a very strong personality. And she wants, and he's a great, he's kind of one of those guys that would build his home. Like I was just describing super handy would come over, help me with stuff at my house, yeah. uh, but not very comfortable reading the word or would never want to be upfront. And I talked to him privately and I said, Hey brother, your wife's godly woman really wants you to read the word with her. And I, I believe if you do, it's going to have a dramatic effect on your positive effect on your marriage. And he says, okay. And you can almost like picture him summoning up his courage in this conversation, so he comes back to me like two weeks later and I could just read on his face that something was wrong. And I said, I said, did you read with with her? And he said, I did. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, she questioned everything I said. She disagreed with me constantly. She told me that I you know, I wasn't pronouncing names correctly. And I share that story with women because they need to make I'm not saying a wife can't. Question her husband or disagree with him. I'm just saying that for every withdrawal, she better better make a bunch of deposits. And I would also say, if you want to disagree with your husband, it might be better to do that privately and instead of in front of the kids. I mean, I make you know plenty of mistakes. We, we just don't have enough time to go through you know them right now. But it's Katie frequently tells me you you were not listening well to our to the, our child, or she'll tell me when we leave church, she'll say, that person was talking to you, you interrupted them, or you, you laughed and you shouldn't have laughed. Or, or one time I remember her telling me in that situation that just happened, our child looked more mature than you. She told me that. And she was right. I wasn't in, in the flesh with one of my kids. And so But the point is, Katie tells me these things privately, behind closed doors. It allows me to then go out, apologize to my kids, ask for forgiveness. Um, She doesn't chastise me, you know, in front of them. And so, so that's one of the things I would say to wives is you really need to consider the very strong effect you have on your husband to encourage him or to discourage him. I have a lot of women that come to me at conferences. You know, it's interesting, submission gets criticized so heavily you would think that all these women are going to be upset about submission. I mean, there's pastors that don't even want to talk about submission or they massage it and water it down so much. It's not even submission anymore, mm-hmm. but I, you would think women would be coming and saying, Oh, it's so barbaric and chauvinistic. I don't have, I don't hear women saying that I hear women saying, I wish my husband would lead. I wish my husband would be a spiritual leader, but some of these same women who are saying that also have strong personalities that can bulldoze their husbands instead of come along alongside and supporting them. So husbands and wives, both, Play play a large part in family worship, and if for any young people that listen to this, I would say that children play it play a big part in this too. So in our home, you know, my kids they're listening to me at church Sunday. They're listening to me I, if I try to bring them to conferences they're listening to me during family worship. I mean, pray for my kids. They got to listen to me all the time, you know? So you can't (laughs) expect that when, when we say, Hey, it's time for family worship or family Bible study, that my kids celebrate. Oh, great. We have to listen to daddy again. You know, it's on let's go line up on the couch with our Bibles and sit perfectly and be, you know, during family Bible study, they don't go, Hey dad, you've only been, we've only been going doing this two hours. You got three hours in you. It's not, (laughs) you know, it's not like that. And so for the most part, my kids are, you know, like other kids, they can quarrel, they can not pay attention. I mean, I'm dealing with all the same things other families are. And, but what I was going to say was, if I, if my kids are told it's time for family Bible study, and there's an eye roll or a groan or something, my wife is the first one to just jump in there and, you know, be all over one of our kids and say, hey, do you have any idea how blessed you are to have a dad that reads the word with you? Do you have any idea how, how blessed you are to be in a Christian home where your dad gathers you around and shares the gospel with you like this, you better not take this for granted. You better have a good attitude, you know, and be thankful for how good God's been to you, um, to give you the daddy that you have. And so those are the kind of things Katie does. that makes me feel very supported and encouraged. So I just, and so I guess I was going to say the part that children play is your dad is tired. And if your mom, she's homeschooling, you know, she's tired. She's probably reading the Word with her kids, too. Uh, Parents don't homeschool because it's easier. They don't homeschool because it's cheaper. You know, there's thousands of dollars spent on curriculum. So sometimes it's just good for kids to hear, hey, you might not always be happy with your parents, but they're trying hard. They're investing tons of time and energy, a lot of their hearts and lives into you. And so... You should appreciate that, and if you have the opportunity to gather around God's Word, remember you're in like point zero 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 one percent of the population of young people that actually has a family that gathers together like that. Don't take it for granted.
0: Yeah. No, I, I love that. That's that's wonderful. That, you know, your wife helps you with that. So let's take a quick break, and then uh, I, I have a couple other questions. <music> Shortly after the British pastor G. Campbell Morgan got married, his father visited their London apartment for dinner. Dr. Morgan eagerly asked for his father's thoughts on their new home. After a moment of silent reflection, he told his son, It's very nice, but I didn't see one thing in it to indicate that it's a Christian home. The decorations we choose for our home serve as visual expressions of our passions and commitments. When scripture verses fill prominent places that are easily seen around our house, it becomes unmistakably clear that our home is a place where Jesus is loved and his presence dwells. Immersing our families in the Word of God should be an important part of our daily lives, which is why I want to share a beautiful set of Bible verse posters to help your family do just that by showcasing 12 beloved quotations from the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Each poster features a carefully selected verse highlighted in a vibrant background that will add beauty and biblical inspiration to the walls of your home. So head over to familydiscipleshippodcast.net slash john to see all the designs, and for listeners of this show, you can use the code podcast to unlock a special 20% discount just for my listeners here. These posters are available for immediate download, so you can print them, frame them, and hang them in prominent places around your house. Go to familydiscipleshippodcast.net slash john, use the code podcast for 20% off, And mark your home as a sanctuary where the Lord's word is loved and treasured as the foundation of your family's relationship with him. All right, we are back and uh, have a few more minutes left with uh, Pastor Scott here. So I just wanted to uh, ask you, um, you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, you have people come into your office for counseling and stuff like that. So. Um, what what generally is the reasons that you see you know drive drives people into to doing that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I have and there's people that come talk to me at conferences. So God's sort of given me a ministry to marriage. I mean, it's second to my ministry to my church, but I enjoy talking about marriage. I enjoy dealing with marriage, doing conferences and teach and uh, helping people with marriage at my church. And because that has given me familiarity over about 15 years with the most common reasons people come to my office or come to talk to me. And I think people tend to think their situation might be unique, but the reality is most situations are actually pretty similar. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> people might not use these exact words. A husband doesn't come in and say, my wife's disrespecting me. But if you listen to what he's saying, he's describing a wife who's disrespecting him. Or he's, if he's describing why he's upset, he's describing being disrespected or not being respected. You listen to why is the wife and my wife might say, well, my husband doesn't love me, but more than, but she's saying things like he's not interested in me. He's not investing in me. He's not attentive to me. He's more passionate about sports. He knows more about, you know, the NASCAR vehicles or something than he knows about me. And, And so, so, She's talking about not feeling loved, even if she doesn't use that words, those words. And that that's important because, you know, you have these two primary commands from God. Ephesians 5.25, most people know that, for husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And then I think about five times in the New Testament, every every single time a wife is mentioned in the New Testament, you can't find wives mentioned in the New Testament without a corresponding command for them to submit to their husbands. Some people don't want to talk about that, but it's it's abundantly clear that wives are supposed to submit. There's qualifications, a wife wouldn't submit to abuse, she wouldn't submit to sin. There can be times when you know a wife could be justified in separating from her husband. I would not say divorce, but especially in abusive situations, separate, get the elders involved for counseling or or help or safety. But with that said, the it's interesting to me, and I think it's very logical. That the main reason people have trouble in marriage is not super complicated. It's it's because the people are disobeying the two primary commands for husbands and wives. You have a husband who isn't loving his wife as Christ loves the church. You have a wife who is not submitting to her husband or respecting him as the church should do do for Christ. And so when you can help people obey these commands... And again, it's not a white knuckle thing. You know, it's not like you need to try harder. I mean, people have already been trying hard. They can't. If people come into your office for anything, addiction to pornography or alcohol or anger, and you tell them to try harder, they're going to feel defeated because they've come in after already trying hard. This is when they need to know about the gospel, you know, God's work through the gospel, empowering you, that it's more, it's not so much about you trying harder as it is, as it is about you surrendering or submitting really to Christ and letting the gospel work through your life with your spouse. But but those are the main reasons I see people having problems in marriage is just disobedience to those two foundational commands.
0: Yeah. So um, what would you say to people who might seem like they you know have a healthy relationship with God, but they are kind of struggling to see you know, some of that spiritual uh, ripple effect, so to speak, you know, in their marriage or, or relationships. And, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like you said, you know, you can't just tell them we'll try harder, um, mm-hmm. you know, but, but maybe they do like, you know, read, you know, spend time reading the Bible together or, you know, you know, praying together or something like that. Um, but, you know, what if it's not seeming to kick in all the way? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I think it's super important to have the humility to ask each other questions that might, Tempt our flesh to flare up, and I, I've kind of I even thought it was so important. I put instructions for this in the my marriage workbook that accompanies my book. How you're supposed to talk to your spouse, how you're supposed to ask for forgiveness, how you're not supposed to ask for forgiveness, or how you're not supposed to apologize. You know, the word "but" is like the destroyer of apologize apologies. You know, I'm sorry, I did this, but you know, then follows yeah. the follows the excuse. <laughs> yeah. So don't right. use the word "but" and and ask. So ask genuine questions like. A wife can ask or should ask her husband, what do I do that causes you to feel disrespected? And she needs to be committed to restraining her flesh, not letting it flare up. And the same with the husband. He should be committed to asking his wife, what do I do that allows you to feel cherished or adored? And this is different for every spouse. My wife is vastly different than the other elders wives in the church. There are ways that I love Katie or things that I do to be uh, sympathetic or understanding toward her that I know would not matter toward other women. And Katie has learned, like, I'll give you an example. I I don't know if I still talk too quickly, but I used to talk super quickly. Katie used to sit in my sermons and she would go like this with her hand to tell me to slow down. (laughs) Or if I was going to say something I shouldn't say because I have a tendency to do that, she'd go like this. So this woman went up to Katie, and said, "Hey, does your hu- do, you know, is your husband okay with you going like this and doing this when he's preaching?" And she said, "Yeah, he actually really appreciates it." And she and the woman said, "Man, my husband would hate that." And this guy came up to me and he said, "Hey, do you know why you're preaching? Why you're preaching? Your wife's making all these hand signals." And is, and I said, "Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with that." And he said, "Does it bother you?" And I said, "No, I find it to be very helpful." And so we need to learn each other. I counsel this one couple. They came to my office, and this woman, she's a neat lady. She was genuinely confused. She said, "My husband and I like to do all these projects together, but they always end up in conflict." And as I talked to him, it was pretty evident that she w- he felt like she was second guessing everything. She always had a better idea. There was always a, uh, you know, they're doing house projects. Things should be designed differently. You know, she can get cheaper parts. So, so he felt disrespected. She thought she was just being helpful, right? And so we need to. I mean, First Peter three seven it tells husbands to dwell with your wives in an understanding or knowledgeable way that encourages us to develop knowledge or understanding of our wives. That's why I don't think it's funny whenever people say things like when Christians go along with those jokes about, you can't understand women, or I don't like when women go along with those, like the whole world wants to make men look incompetent, inept, bumbling, foolish. You know, women have to do a man's job because a man can't be trusted to do it. And I don't like how the world makes jokes like you can't understand. It should make sense to us that if God commands Husbands to learn or understand their wives that the world is going to act like women can't be understood. And it should make sense that if men are supposed to be respected, that the world is going to always portray men as being very foolish and incompetent. And if it's movies, television shows, books, media, sometimes women's ministries, men are not made to look respectable. And I don't, we should not play along with that. We that's playing into the world's agenda. Instead, we should work hard as husbands to learn our wives dwell with them in understanding ways and wives should work hard to respect their husbands and part of that working hard is learning our spouse and what allows our husband to feel respected and what allows our wife to feel loved and then strive to love and respect those ways
0: yeah no amen and kind of reminds me of uh, i don't remember who exactly said it but uh i believe there's a quote out there somewhere like uh, god doesn't uh ask us to do something to the fact that God doesn't ask us to do something without giving us the grace to do it. So, and again, you know, and that kind of, you know, ties it all back together to, you know, it's, this is, you know, all ties back to the gospel, you know, and we can't, you know, none of this is going to matter if you don't have kind of, like you said, you know, it ties back to our relationship with Christ, you know, we've been forgiven by him. And so, you know, that's, that's the basis for, you know, why we love and respect our spouse. So, you know, kind of a, full circle way to, to come back to where we started from
1: <laughs> yeah very good
0: so yeah yeah so we're almost out of time for today unfortunately but uh um, as we get ready to wrap up i know you have a book about uh, marriage and I've, I've read it and loved it um so can you tell us just a, a bit about that and where our our listeners can find a copy of it
1: yeah th- thanks christian that's a blessing yeah. i like, like seeing young men investing in marriage and preparing for it and learning about it and you know, want to grow his husband. So yeah, I, I preached on marriage for about a year at my church it was supposed to be the marriage month ended up being the marriage year was kind of the running joke. <laughs> and my wife had been t- telling me for a long time to write a book and I just kept putting it off. And then I finished that series and she's, and I'm not a series guy. I'm like an expositional verse by verse book by book guy. And so she's like, you got to do this, put these sermons, you know, into a book. And so I spent a lot of time doing that. And that was my book that uh, it's titled Your Marriage God's Way. There's an accompanying workbook for it. You can get it on, on Amazon or, or, um, probably christianbook.com and my website, scotlapierre.org. You'll probably have the the link in the show notes is where people can reach out to me. They can find my books, sermons, you know, conference messages, my resources. And we talked a lot about marriage. I do have a free resource there. It's called seven biblical insights for Christ-centered relationships. It's a short read. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, not a full book. It's just something I hope my, and it's a free gift to anyone that goes to my site and downloads it. I hope that would you know strengthen your relationship with Christ. And if anyone, if money's tight, I didn't write books to make money. I wrote them to Strengthen Relationships. People can reach out to me and I'd, I'd even give them a, a free copy. If, I just ask that they read it if I do give them a free copy. But yeah, but, and if I can pray for anyone or answer any questions, they can reach out to me through the contact page on my website. So, hey, Christian, I just want you to know I appreciate you and all you're doing. Yeah to oh, see what you. the Lord does with you over these decades we'll have yes. to hope that our you know the Lord allows I think about Paul and I he's always talking I want to visit you I want to be there I like to see you in person <laughs> you know and I hope the Lord allows yeah. us to meet me in person someday
0: we will yeah I'm sure, I'm sure we will one day so yeah well thank you so much and I, I will have a uh, link to your book and uh, your website and uh, social media and all that in the show notes here and uh, yeah I just want to thank you for for jumping on today to, to talk through this and uh, for our listeners I hope that you've been awesome been listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, I truly hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by the things we've covered today, and I'd love to hear your feedback, questions, or even suggestions for a particular guest or topic that you would like to see featured on a future episode. Feel free to email host at Podcast.net. and don't forget to follow the show on social media and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss new episodes as they're released. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week, but in the meantime, I pray that the Lord will continue to bless your family as you endeavor to shepherd your children's hearts and cultivate your family's relationships with Jesus and with each other.